Hello, I'm Simon Mitchell, and welcome to North to the Future, a podcast where I sit down with Alaskan youth and hear their thoughts on the contemporary issues facing the state and its future. With me here today is Ben Goltz. Okay, so um, you are rolling. Okay. Do you want to introduce yourself to our listeners? Uh, yeah. Hello, my name is Ben Goltz. I'm a junior at West High School, and uh, happy to answer some questions. All right, so um, were you, you were born in Alaska? I was born and raised in Anchorage, lived here all my life. I like to get outside, I like hiking, I like fishing, I'm a skier. I like to, to do the Alaskan things, and I'm glad to live here. So you would consider yourself an Alaskan then? Absolutely, yeah. Absolutely, um, and what does that mean to you, to be an Alaskan? I think uh, there's a sense of... Uh, not really liberty, but like a free spirit up here that comes with the isolation and separation from the rest of the U.S. I think it makes people more self-sufficient. I think that's a positive thing. I'd say we're a little more rugged than your average lower 48er. We have to deal with the cold all the time. And uh, I think that teaches us to be a little more perseverant in our lives. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, it kind of sounded like, you know, you mentioned that you know, as an Alaskan, we're kind of, we're more rugged. And then, you know, you do fishing and boating and stuff. So you think Alaska is kind of a, has an outdoorsy culture to it? Absolutely. Yes. I think um, fishing and boating, people do those all around coastal states, but it's a different atmosphere up here. Like in my mind, the image of a lower 48 boat is like a Florida yacht, you know, white, black windows, heavily tinted. And it's just a bunch of people drinking martinis on them. But Mm -hmm. up here, it's more small boats, outboard motors, you're like getting into the wilderness. You're not going out there to have a party. Do you have any like memories that really stick out to you of having, you know, grown up boating and fishing and that sort of stuff? Got memories of specific fish uh, that were fun to pull in. Really good days on the water, just like perfect clear skies, calm seas. Um, but I don't know if I have any one story that would be worth telling. There have been some good halibut. Yeah. Tell, tell me about the best halibut. All right. So I want to say this was maybe five to seven years ago. We were outside of Homer in Kachemak Bay. Um, we stay at a cabin out there uh, with another family every year. And uh, we were in a little skiff that my dad built. Um, I want to say it's 16 feet long. Um, we got the four of us in there, all my family and my dog. We were outside Sadie Cove, just jigging, hoping to get a few cod or some rockfish or something like that. And uh, I had grown tired of it after 45 minutes or so, so I passed off the rod to my mom. And uh, within two minutes, I want to say, there's this, this massive pull on the tip of the rod, and she feels this massive jerk. And uh, it was about a 15-minute effort just to get the fish up to the surface. And as soon as we saw it, we knew that we needed to call our friend Dan, who was in our other boat um, across the bay, because that was not something that we could pull into our boat ourselves without a gaff, which is like that big hook that you used to pick up the fish, pull it into the boat. Um, so we called Dan. Dan took about 20 minutes to get over, and we're shocked that the fish is staying on this line the whole time, because it should have broken off by now. Um, but Dan comes over. Very heroically, we pass the rod to the other boat, um, and we gaff it and bring it in, and we, uh, we bring it back to the dock on the cabin that we're staying at and lay it out, and it's about as big as me. I'm probably four foot ten or so at the time so I'm not massive but actually I'm gonna say I'm bigger than that it was a good size fish I think it was it came in just over a hundred pounds probably 
but that was a, a good effort. That was like, we call it the family fish because I lured it in with all my jigging beforehand. My mom hooked it, and both my brother and my dad helped reel it up. Um, it was a good team effort. Yeah, sounds like quite the production is that. I don't have much experience with that kind of fishing. Is that like a common thing you have to do, like the whole big process there? It's or? not supposed to take that long, no. <laughs> we were uh, we were gearing for smaller fish at the time and not expecting a process like that. Yeah, I think my experience with fishing is dropping the bobber in off the end of the dock. And yeah, this is a little more heavy-duty gear, um, more of a process for sure. So, you know, with this very, you know, outdoorsy kind of vibe, you know, you're talking about the fishing and the boating. Um, it seems like that, like, that's a very central part of Alaska's image, would you say? Um, so I think the outdoorsy aspect of Alaska is really important to the state's image, but that doesn't mean that everyone participates in it. So do you think that that image is um, going to be sustainable going forward, like as we see more development and, you know, you look at the lower 48 and I've done a lot of traveling and you see, you know, it's a lot of developed land, whether it's, you know, farmland or urban areas or suburbs. Um, do you think that Alaska is going to be able to sustain their outdoorsy image as more development occurs? I do. I think um, the difference about Alaska is that so much of it was set up as public lands in the first place. It was never privatized like a lot of lower 48 was. So I think development is much more restricted up here to kind of the rail belt area where there's a lot of private landholders um, and the great areas and state parks and national parks that we love to get out and explore and will hopefully be preserved for a long time. So I think it is sustainable. Um, there will be more people living in Alaska in 50 years than there are now probably as people walk to a cooler place to live as climate change <laughs> takes its path. Um, so it might have a different image. Maybe it'll be longer lines, bigger crowds, stuff like that. But I think as long as we aren't selling off our lands to the highest bidder, it should be able to remain a crucial part of the state. All right. So uh, there at the end, you mentioned climate change. And so I know that oil is a really big part of Alaska's economy, right? And so I'm wondering what you think, um, how Alaska's future will be affected by the growing pressure to move away from fossil fuels and plastics, given that oil, which is a big component of those industries, is so important to our economy? Well, um, as we have seen with the recent Russia conflict, oil is not unimportant in this world. It's still very much a big factor in economic and political arenas. Um, so I don't think the Alaskan oil industry is going anywhere anytime soon. I think that as far as oil production goes, if you want minimal climate impact, Alaska is a good place to do it because we have strong regulations as far as like flaring gas, um, stuff that like the Middle East and Russia do not take into account. Um, so I would hope that the world as a whole can make a transition away from it, but I think that it's going to remain central to Alaska's economy for as long as it's legal here. Going off that, you know, with the recent events, you know, with Russia's invasion in Ukraine and that's kind of affected gas prices and oil is a fairly, how would you say that? Volatile. Volatile, there you go. Um, is volatile resource and industry and the price kind of fluctuates quite a bit. And I know mm -hmm. that we see, we have big issues with that on our 
state budget because so much of our budget is reliant on yes. taxes from the oil economy. And what are your thoughts on that? Um, I think it's important to recognize that in times when oil is reaching $130 a barrel, like it has been recently, that that is not a time to spend willingly and fund tons of new projects. It's time to be prudent and put it away for rainy days that are sure to come later on. And ultimately, Alaska will have to divest itself from that field because it will shrink in importance over time. So whatever we can do to prepare ourselves and use the good money from the good times like this to prepare ourselves for the future, I think that's going to be really important to secure the economic future of the government here. Um, so kind of going into some like broader questions about Alaska as a whole, like what just comes to your mind when you think about Alaska? I don't think about the cities usually. I think about mountains and the ocean. Salmon comes to mind, moose, you know, all the stereotypical wildlife that we see. Um, yeah, for me, it's really just the natural parts of the state. Like when I think of New York, I go to the Empire State Building or something uh -huh. like that. California, maybe it's the Golden Gate Bridge, but it's not the ConocoPhillips Building downtown. In yeah. energy, you know, that's, that strikes out or stands out to me as inherently Alaska. And that seems to tie back in with what you were talking about earlier with how recreation and, you know, outdoor activities, fishing and hunting are important to kind of the Alaskan culture, um, as well as you were talking about the, the ruggedness that we have. So here's kind of a question for you going forward. When you graduate high school, you said you were a junior earlier. Um, do you plan to uh, live in Alaska after you graduate? Um, I have no intention to go to college in Alaska. I will certainly leave the state for secondary education. I think that is one of the big drawbacks we have with our budget problems where they are currently is that our university system is lacking the funding to be as good as I think some other schools. Yeah, I think that's accurate. But also, there's just not academic prestige associated with either UAF or UAA or even UAS or APU. Um, I think you can get a good education, certainly at UAF in specific um, fields, but then, you know, there's nothing close to an Ivy League up here. There's no yeah. nationally recognized like liberal arts schools or anything like that. So I think it's really easy for people to say that they're going to go to school outside the state. Yeah, and I mean, like UAF has probably the nation's top Arctic policy uh, program, I would say, and I know they have a really good natural resources management program up there. Um, so they've got stuff going for it, but it's relatively specific fields. It's not like the liberal arts education. So uh, you said you plan to attend secondary, uh, get your secondary education outside of Alaska. What about returning after that? I don't know. If I, uh, if I don't come back, I am going to miss parts of it for sure. I'll miss um, the snow, certainly, consistent snow, skiing around here always being surrounded by mountains. I think if I go down to the lower 48, that's going to be an adjustment, just being able to see for way too far around me yeah. all the time. I don't think I'll be moving to Kansas anytime soon. Um, I think it's definitely possible that I come back at some point in my life, um, but I don't have any plans one way or the other right now. Mm -hmm. I would say there are parts of the country, you know, in the lower 48 that do resemble Alaska to a certain extent, you know, parts of Colorado and the Pacific Northwest have mountainous forested, you know, lots of opportunities for outdoor recreation. Um, do you think you're still 
losing out on core part of the Alaskan experience if you were to live in those regions. Definitely. I think just knowing that when a package says ships for free, it'll ship for free to your house in the lower 48, <laughs> that kind of certainty and like knowing that you're just connected to the world so readily um, is a different experience than living up here. So mm-hmm. I think I, would, I wouldn't feel the same sense of ruggedness at all, even if I were living in a rural area down there. Yeah. Um, and, you know, thinking about it, you know, Anchorage is the largest city in Alaska and it's, you know, it's not a small city, but it's also not, it's nothing like Seattle, where yeah. if you live in the mountainous areas of uh, Washington, say, you know, you might be getting a similar, you know, kind of geographical area to what you would experience up in Alaska, but it's different knowing that you have, you know, a big metropolitan area of Seattle, you know, just a few hours drive away, whereas Alaska, you don't have that. You always feel connected down there, but you don't get that same sense up here all the time. And, you know, I'm perfectly comfortable in Anchorage. It's not like I'm, I feel like I'm missing too much. I love a Chipotle, but that's all about Yeah, I feel like I'm missing out on as far as the lower 48. And, you know, I think there is, you know, opportunity for growth in Alaska's future and to, you know, develop some of those missing uh, amenities. Yes, that we lack compared to uh, areas in the lower 48. All right. Um, well, I think that's everything that I was wanting to specifically cover. Is there anything that you wanted to add on the topic of Alaska? Closing thoughts? I don't believe so. I think uh, I'm excited to see where it goes, and I think the future of Alaska depends on or no, other way around. Whether I come back to Alaska depends on the future of the economy here. Um, so I'm excited to see what it holds and see how we transition away from petroleum and what other industries might spring up or whether there's not much that springs up. It's, it's exciting. All right. Well, uh, thank you for your time. Thank you for having uh, me. Again, I'd like to thank Ben for volunteering his time and allowing me to interview him for today's episode. I'd also like to thank you, the listener. Thank you so much for listening to the first episode of North to the Future. Ciao.